So you're thinking about a new fishing rod, but you're not sure how to choose your best option. We're going to talk about that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey, y'all, Lachance here. Once again, I appreciate you listening in to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We're going to talk about choosing a fishing rod, and that seems pretty simple, but it's not. Uh, There's a lot of options when it comes to choosing fishing rods. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of misinformation. Um... We need to work through all of that. We need to do so intelligently. And a fishing rod is a critical part of your fishing, obviously, um, but it is only part. So when I'm looking at choosing a fishing rod, I'm looking at the other parts as well. So let's start with the beginning. Uh, When I first decided I was going to start a fishing company, it was back in the very early 2000s. And I was coming out of other businesses. I was tournament fishing at the time, uh, had fished my whole life and had been doing all kinds of multi-species fishing. But I decided that, hey, if I was going to be in the fishing business, I needed to do two things. One, I needed to network with a bunch of reps and industry people. And two, I needed to figure out what Joe Average did or didn't know what their level of purchasing dollars was on average and things like that. So I didn't want to fall for the thing they teach in college of the self-referencing criteria where you assume that everybody thinks the way you do. So I knew I needed some industry and consumer knowledge. So I went down to Sportsman's Warehouse. They had recently opened one in my neck of the woods. And I applied for a job. Got a job working in the fishing department. And it wasn't so much about the money. At that time, I still had some other career stuff going on. It was more about learning the industry. And what I found out right away is there's a giant disparity in knowledge from one angler to the next. There's also a giant disparity in budget uh, from one angler to the next, which I could have assumed. And then there's also a giant disparity in what constitutes value from one angler to the next. So it really became an issue of asking questions to provide any level of customer service when a guy came in to choose a fishing rod. And, uh, and the more questions I asked, the more I figured out that a lot of people don't understand the fundamentals of a fishing rod, how it's designed and what it does, uh, what the materials, how the materials affect it, what some of the lingo means, uh, and things like that. So we're going to go through all of that um, as we as we go into this conversation. So let's first start with the obvious stuff of uh, length, power, and action. Now, length, I'm guessing most of you can understand. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it really just dictates the length of the fishing rod. But that's not the whole story because let's say I have two seven-foot-long spinning rods. One of them could have the reel seat farther up on the rod or farther down on the rod towards the butt section of the rod, and that's going to completely change how that rod reacts to certain things. So if I took the same blank from two rods and I move the reel seat six inches forward or four inches forward on the blank, in other words, towards the tip, now I've got a rod that's stiffer, effectively stiffer, between the reel seat and the uh, the tip of the rod, as opposed to if I move it back, I've got a more limber rod. What I've really done, besides changing the where the reel seat is, is I've effectively changed the action of the rod. And the action of the rod is probably the most misunderstood because people, people mix and match action and power, uh, and they're not the same thing. I, I hear people say, 
uh, use the two terms you know, interchangeably a lot and they're not the same. Action is really defined amongst rod designers anyway, blank designers, as where the rod bends along its uh, length over a given load. So in other words, does just the tip, let's say that I have a, a medium power spinning rod, okay? And, and it's going to take somewhere between an eighth and five-eighths of an ounce to bend that rod. Or at least that's what it's designed for. That's a very common medium power range. And we're going to go more into that in a minute. But we're going to talk about the action first. So I have a medium power spinning rod. It could be an extra fast action, and that would mean it would only bend at the very tip of the rod. In other words, 80% of the blank, maybe 75% of the blank, isn't going to bend at all when I hang a quarter of an ounce off the end of it. It's still going to bend, but it's only going to bend at the very tip. If I had a slow action rod and I hang that same way, it's still medium power. It's a slow action rod. It's the same length. I'm going to hang the same quarter ounce off the tip of it, rod hanging horizontally. It's going to bend maybe at the 50th percentile of that rod's blank. In other words, it's going to bend deeper into the blank. It's going to bend closer to the reel seat and less at the tip of the rod. So the, the action and the speed really are, are truly are interchangeable terms such that I have a fast action rod or I have a slow action rod or I have a moderate action rod which is again on the slower end of the spectrum. Maybe I have an extra fast and the rod is bending only at the very tip of the rod. So action is where along the blank it will flex under a given amount of weight that's hanging from it. The power of the rod is how much force it takes to bend it in the first place. In other words, how much weight, let's say the rod's hold stuck straight out horizontally, how much weight does it take to start bending that rod? The, the power of the rod is directly uh, related to a, a lot of other things, but the power rating is the single most important thing, in my opinion, when choosing a rod for a given application. Because here's why. For that rod to do its job, and for me to be able to cast that rod, and for it to be able to do its job of, of launching a, a lure or bait, whatever, out into the wild blue yonder, it needs to store energy. It needs to bend. And so if I have, let's say, a heavy power rod, and it needs three quarters of an ounce of weight to put any bend in it at all, and I only give it an eighth of an ounce of weight, I'm not going to be able to cast that rod because no matter how hard I try to cast it, how aggressive my casting stroke is, it's not going to store any energy in the fishing rod so that at the end of my casting stroke, it's not going to release any energy. So it's very important that you choose the power of the rod intelligently. The, obvious, the opposite of what I just said a minute ago is that let's say I have a light power rod and I try to cast a three-quarter ounce bait with it. Well, now I'm going to have way too much bend in the rod when I go to cast it or too much energy. The, the blank is going to be overwhelmed with energy. Then it's not going to have its own built-in power to release that energy. And therefore, again, you'll have a very hard time casting the bait. You'll end up with an extreme lob at best. And at worst, you'll have a broken rod. So you, it's important that you choose the power um, very intelligently. And how do I do that? Well, 
it starts with your lure. It, here at Fishful Thinker, we advocate, uh, or, or your bait, for instance, could be, could be your lure or your bait. Here at Fishful Thinker, we advocate choosing your bait or lure first, then you choose your line, then you choose your rod. And the, part of the reason that's so important is the weight of those lures that you're going to throw is going to dictate what power of rod you need. Now, there's a misnomer out there that says, well, I'm going to catch 10-pound catfish. I need a big rod. I need a big, heavy power rod. No, you don't. Believe me, you don't. You can land a 10-pound catfish on a, on a small uh, rod without any problem at all but you may not be able to cast your catfish bait on it. So if you're throwing a one ounce you know, sinker with your catfish rig out into the current, well then yeah, it's not about the fish, it's about the weight of what you're throwing that's gonna dictate the power. And, and like I said, I've landed some tremendously large fish on very, very light tackle uh, without any problem. As long as you fight fish intelligently, your fishing rod's your best friend and it's not gonna hurt you any. But if you choose a power range that's outside of what you wanna cast, it's not only no fun to fish with, it's also ineffective to fish with. So the power range is really important. So if you're an artificial lure guy, look at what lures do I wanna throw at this rod and say, okay, be realistic. It's not gonna throw everything in your, in your box. I, I used to get that email all the time. I still do, hey, I want one rod that does everything. Well, that's like saying I want one golf club that does everything. You might be able to limp through with it, but it's not going to score very good on the golf course, right? And so the same thing with the fishing rod. So really, if you really wanna choose one fishing rod, then I would choose my lures based on that. In other words, I wouldn't get outside of that range. And it comes down more than anything else to the power of the rod. Then the next thing I'm going to look at is going to be the length of the rod. And the length of the rod is going to dictate several different things. All things being considered, a longer rod will give you longer casting distance. Um, if you've ever played golf, you know that the driver is longer than the putter. And the reason being is the driver will generate more velocity at the head of the club. A eight-foot fishing rod will generate more velocity at the tip than will a six-foot fishing rod because it has two more feet of leverage or two more feet of a moment arm, to use a big engineering word. Uh, and angular momentum will then be higher and you will launch your bait farther. So if you're the extreme of that is a surf casting rod that could be eight or nine or 10 feet long. Uh, and the reason being is they really want to launch a bait way out into the, into the surf. And so if they only used a six foot rod, even if it was in the same power rating, they wouldn't be able to throw that bait nearly as far. And so the length of the rod, a longer rod, will give you more casting distance without question. It will also give you more lure control. So if you're an artificial guy, you're not throwing bait and just waiting for, for you know, fish to come to you. You're throwing a lure and working a lure and applying your own action to it. A longer rod gives you a little bit more control in that regard because I can steer my bait more. A tip up versus tip down presentation is going to have more of an effect on my bait the longer the rod is. And so a longer rod gives you control in that regard. The flip side of it is the longer it gets, the less accurate it gets. Uh, there's a, a point of diminishing returns on length where your distance is excellent, but your accuracy starts to go away. So that can be important as well. The other thing is a longer rod can provide a better shock absorber because let's say we, we've already talked, we've already talked about the power of it. So it's, it's, Let's say I've got a short rod that's a medium power and I've got a longer rod that's a medium power. 
the longer rod that's a medium power is going to be a better shock absorber. It's going to be better at fighting fish because it's going to spread that power out over a little bit more distance. And when it does that, again, I've got a bigger shock absorber. I'll have a bigger arc, so to speak, in the rod and less chance of losing fish with it. So from that standpoint, uh, it'll help you out a whole bunch to have a little bit longer rod if you're really worried about losing fish uh, or you really want to make a long throw. Conversely, if you want to be very accurate or you want to work a lure very precisely, then a shorter rod can be a better choice for you. Um, when it comes to length, there's almost no situation that I can even think of short of ice fishing that I would advocate a rod shorter than about five and a half feet. Even for small streams, uh, even for little kids, um, it's very important that you have enough length, that you have enough leverage to throw your bait for one, and you have some controllability of the bait for two. Uh, and also, the longer rod will give you more hook setting ability, because when I sweep my rod in an arc back to, to bury a hook in a fish, the more line I pick up, in other words, the longer the rod is, the better hook set I'm going to get. A little short rod is very difficult to set the hook with, and I have a great example of that. I was helping a, a little girl that was uh, in Girl Scouts doing a, a youth event uh, one time years ago, and her bobber kept going under. She had a little, like, three-and-a-half-foot-long Snoopy pole, so to speak. Her bobber kept going under, and she kept swinging at fish, and I kept telling her, just jerk on him. You know, I told her how to do it, whatever. She'd do it over and over again. She wasn't hooking any of the fish. So I decided, well, I'm a professional. I'm going to show her how to do it. I take that same Snoopy pole. I throw that bobber out there. Bluegill flushes it just like he's supposed to. I yank on it, and guess what? I don't hook him either. You know why? Because I don't have enough length to move enough line. And so when the line goes out to the bobber and then turns 90 degrees and goes straight down to the fish, I need to take that 90 degrees out before I can even get any movement from the hook at the other end. And when your rod's only three and a half feet long, three feet long, you can't do that. Immediately, I took that rod away from the girl and gave her a five foot long ugly stick with the same reel on it, swapped it over, and she started hooking fish no problem. And the reason being is when she swung on those fish, she was able to actually pull the line tight in a straight line between her and the fish and get it set. So the hinge point is critical. If you want to get a good hook set, you need a long rod. Very important. Again, back to my avocation. Five feet is about the shortest I can even think of wanting for any application. And that, in my scenario, that's going to be a tiny little stream rod. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, you know, where I'm, I'm going to be casting a grand total of, you know, maybe 10, 15 feet across a little creek uh, or up or downstream a little bit. And I don't have to move a lot of line for a hook set, something like that. Even at that, realistically, my small creek rods are six feet long uh, because it's, again, for all the reasons I've already mentioned, the extra length gives you uh, the castability, the controllability, and I can cast underhand with it e easier. And the extreme of that is a bass guy that pitches and flips. If you understand those techniques already, then this conversation is probably more basic than what you need. But the whole point of those is that you're using the pendulum effect to cast your lure, and the longer that line is, the easier that lure will pendulum and swing. So uh, that's important there. But for me, if the easy answer, because everybody always wants the easy answer, any sort of normal freshwater fishing, short of a you know a really micro little creek or something like that, my rods are going to be starting at about six feet long, and they're going to go up to about seven and a half, not much more than that. Um, there are some scenarios where specialty rod in the eight foot range is really good. There's some scenarios where a shorter rod be 
a little bit better, but the, the bread and butter is going to be somewhere around six and a half to seven feet for almost all my rods. And I would say that 75% of the fishing rods in my arsenal, uh, maybe 80% are between six foot three and seven foot six, because that covers most of anything that I would need to do. And I do everything from small trout and panfish all the way up to inshore saltwater stuff. So uh, that gives me a good range of accuracy and control across all those boards. Now, let's go back to power. The overwhelming majority of my rods are going to be somewhere between medium light and medium heavy uh, power. And each of those is somewhat standardized amongst manufacturers, but not completely standardized. So let's say you have an Abu Garcia rod and it's a medium power. And okay, well, it likes a one eighth to five eighths ounce lure. That's what that power rating's for. Okay, great. But now I go buy a Fenwick, and it's also a medium power. Well, maybe it is only one eighth to one half, uh, or something like that. So, in other words, there's slight variances back and forth in what makes a medium power rod a medium power rod. And kind of in the same way that a number 10 Nike may not fit the same as a number 10 Adidas. Uh, you may need a 9.5 in a Nike and a 10 in an Adidas or whatever the case might be. So the manufacturers do a pretty good job of standardizing it, but not totally. Uh, and then back to the action of where along the blankets it, it bends. All things being equal, a faster action rod is more accurate because it bends only at the tip of the rod and a slower action rod is less accurate. A faster action rod uh, will give you better hook sets, all other things being equal, because it will respond more immediately to any action. It will also give you a more precise way to work your lures, uh, because again, it's, a, it's not deflecting so much or bending so much of the rod every time you apply some input to your lure. So if I move my rod, again, more precise, um, control the tip with a faster action rod. A slower action rod is generally considered to be better for either a trolling application or something where you're winding your bait continuously uh, because then most fish are, are suction feeders, uh, a few of them are bite feeders, depends on what you're talking about, but at the end of the day when they swim up behind your lure they pop their mouth open. They're expecting that that lure is going to come to them because if it was a real fish and they swim up behind it and they pop their, their gills covers open and pop their mouth open and create that vacuum, the fish would come to them. But you have it tied on a piece of line straight to a rod, to a reel, and so there's no, no give back to the fish. A softer rod will help you with that a little bit. In other words, a rod that's a little bit slower action will do that a little bit easier, will bend a little bit deeper into the blank. It will also help you get little tiny treble hooks to stay pinned because it's more forgiving. It's bending deeper into the blank. You have, if a fish comes towards you or anything like that, you have more of a chance of the rod sucking up some of that force. Same thing with jumping fish. Uh, a faster, crisper rod, uh, you'll hear me use those terms fast and crisp uh, back and forth, they will be less forgiving when it comes to fighting fish. But um, so if I'm choosing a rod, I'm first looking at what I'm throwing as a, a critical part from that standpoint as well. So let's just use a, a, a random example. I'm going to use something everybody out there is familiar with. And that's going to be something like an inline spinner. Let's say I need to cast a quarter ounce inline spinner. Well, that's going to put me in a medium power range because just about any manufacturer is going to put a quarter ounce in the medium power range. 
Second of all, that's a bait that I'm most likely to be constantly retrieving. So I'd probably go somewhere between a moderate fast and a fast rod, uh, maybe even a pure moderate, uh, if I'm going to just constantly retrieve that rod, or the, excuse me, that, that inline spinner, uh, because again, I need the forgiveness of when a fish bites and also to get that little tiny treble hook to stay pinned. And then as far as the length goes, that's going to really be dictated by how far I need to throw it and how much I need to control it. So I might have a six-foot medium power uh, moderate action rod if I'm around creeks and things, but I might have a seven-footer if I'm throwing that in open water because I'm going to throw it a long ways. Accuracy isn't maybe as important in that scenario. So I might choose a little bit longer rod. So again, you want to pick it for your scenario. Uh, so that's how I would look at that. The other variable that people don't think a whole lot about when it comes to rods is casting rods versus spinning rods. A lot of people just automatically assume that they're going to get a spinning rod. Or conversely, I used to have a lot of people come into Sports Warehouse and say, oh, I'm going bass fishing. I need to buy a bait caster. Well, casting tackle is fantastic, but only if you're casting heavy enough weights. And the, the reason is the spool itself needs to spin, and that means it needs to have whatever you're casting pulling on the other end of it. The weight of whatever it is you're throwing needs to have enough of its own force, its own kinetic energy, that it is going to continuously pull that line off of that reel faster than the reel is normally spinning. And if the bait slows down in the air a whole bunch because it's not particularly heavy for its given size, then the spool won't slow down as fast and you're going to have a backlash. Conversely, the weakness of a spinning reel is that the line's coming off at 90 degrees and therefore you potentially have twist issues all the time. So, but they will handle a very light uh, lure much easier because the spool itself doesn't have to spin. You don't have anything spinning. It's just the resistance of the line coming off the spool itself rather than the resistance of the line and the spool spinning. So there I don't, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a believer that just because you're bass fishing, you need a casting rod or casting tackle just because you see the pros on TV doing that a lot. Casting tackle, casting rods are very efficient. They're very accurate. They're also difficult to master and not a great choice for very light baits. And somebody's going to listen to this and call me out and say, oh, well, now they have that BFS, that bait casting finesse system. I get it. But again, that's extremely specialized. And if you're into that already, you don't need this podcast in the first place. So uh, a spinning rod is, is more versatile, especially given today's range of braided lines that have taken the power concerns away. Uh, I can throw 40-pound, 50-pound braid on a spinning rod very easily and overcome all sorts of issues with power with doing that. So I don't think it's black and white. If you're looking for all-around rods, there's no case in which I don't advocate a spinning rod. If you're a relatively newish angler, uh, a spinning rod, when I start considering casting rods or when I start moving up in my skill set, and I can tell you from 17 years of guiding people that, uh, that basically I can adapt almost any bass fishing technique with spinning tackle if I need. So there is no longer the case that you have to have casting tackle. Again, that's not to say it doesn't have its place. But don't be in a rush to get into casting tackle and casting rods just because you think you're going bass fishing. In fact, my advocacy for all-around first bass rod is for sure a medium or medium-heavy power spinning rod in a fast or extra fast action, uh, something in the six and a half to seven foot range and some braided line on a quality spinning reel. That's going to be a better all-around choice. And every pro in the country still has one of those in their boat. I can promise you that. So... 
Back to fishing rod fundamentals, a couple key things. Um, you'll hear manufacturers reference the, uh, the resins in the blank as modulus. Uh, modulus is another term you'll hear that references the carbon itself. Uh, everybody's got different lingo for that, but at the end of the day, all things being equal, a graphite, a, a high quality graphite rod with a tight weave to it is uh, more responsive, more crisp, lighter in weight, um, generally more fun to fish with. Also, it is more fragile. The lower modulus, the, the lower matrix of the resin, whatever term your manufacturer is using, uh, or if your rod contains some fiberglass in it, like an ugly stick, well, now I've got a rod that's incredibly durable, but it's also a bunch heavier. And all other things being equal is just flat not capable of generating the faster actions in the rods. And if it does, the rod is feel, will feel dead in your hand. The materials themselves don't store enough energy at that point. Graphite does an excellent job, or carbon fiber does a an excellent job of storing and releasing energy, especially for its given weight. So if you're any level of advanced angler, and particularly if you're doing something other than trolling or just waiting for fish to come by and find your bait, then I'm going to advocate for sure a, a highest quality graphite rod that you can get uh, within your budget range. Um, and then from there, if I'm throwing bait, I'm a, let's say I'm going to put power bait out and wait for a trout to swim by, well then, hey, get your ugly stick, get your, get your uh, very durable rod. You're going to lean it up on a stick on the side of the lake. It doesn't have to be lightweight. You're not even holding it. It doesn't have to be sensitive because fish is going to ring it. Half of the guys are going to have a bell on the end of it or something like that. So don't, don't spend your money on a fancy rod for that. Get an ugly stick. You'll have it forever. And to be fair, the ugly sticks have been much improved in the last couple of years as they're figuring out better and better ways to mix carbon fiber and fiberglass together to come up with, uh, with blanks. So I am not one of those people that wholesale says ugly sticks are the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. There's a reason they're the number one selling fishing rod in this country because at the end of the day, kids can use them, adults can use them, and anybody in between can use them. They cover a wide variety of fishing applications. It does not mean that that's the best tool for the job. If you've got some skills, I promise you, you will be better served with a higher quality graphite rod. Now, that does not mean you need to spend $500 on a rod. That's like saying, I know how to drive a car, so I'm going to buy a Ferrari. You need to know how to drive a car at a very high level before you're going to get any performance out of a Ferrari to speak of, other than maybe standing on the gas pedal in a straight line. Uh, if you're a you know, couple, three years into angling, you might still be working on those skills, and you don't need a Ferrari yet. Maybe you'll be just fine with a with a bit more basic sports car as you work your way up and you'll develop the skills to where you can drive that Ferrari. Same kind of thing. So having said that, my finesse fishing rods, in other words, the stuff I fish my finesse gear on, which is the most angler intensive in my opinion, because it requires the most sensitivity, the most precision, uh, the, the lightest lures around, the, the most subtle bites around, things like that. My finesse tackle is very, very high quality, but I've invested my entire life in learning how to use it, and I can tell you the difference will will make a giant difference in your angling. In the same way that I can give Tiger Woods some pawn shop specials, and he's still not going to win the golf tournaments just because he's Tiger Woods or whoever's leading these days. John Daly seems to be the popular guy, but... Um, he, he can tell you the difference between a high-quality driver and a less-quality driver. Me, as a golfer, I cannot. So there's no point in me buying a really high-quality one until I can feel and, and apply the differences that, that's built into it. So that's where I'm at.
Now, other couple other things about fishing rods that I think are, are very important. One piece versus two piece. If you're going to have that thing traveling around your car all the time, you're not going to be um, able to uh, leave it in a boat per se or something like that, then a two piece rod is gonna be a great choice. Obviously, if you need to haul it around in a small car, something like that. Two piece rods are great from that standpoint, from the portability and from the storage standpoint, but that's it. If you can store a one-piece rod and you can travel with a one-piece rod, do it. Because when you put a ferrule, which is the part where the two rods, two pieces of the rod go together, in a blank, you create a dead spot right there because they don't have a continuous flow of the, of the graphite or the, or the fiberglass, whatever it is. They don't have a continuous flow from one to the other. So they have to create a thick spot on one side and, and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, you end up with a dead spot in the blank right there. And if you look at one that's heavily bent, you can actually see where there's a stiff spot right around the ferrule. The other thing you create when you add a ferrule in a rod is a potential for breaking. So if that ferrule's not seated correctly all the time, that's how a lot of rods get broken. So you're fishing, you seated it together, you went to the lake, everything's good, it's, it's great. Well, you've made 100 casts, and the seating, the, the ferrule's starting to slightly come apart. Well, now I've got a quarter inch of that ferrule that's not connected together, and then I get a shamu to bite, and I yank back for a hook set, and the rod breaks right there. Or conversely, it breaks even on a cast because the ferrule needs to be seated all the way to have any strength, and so you need to maintain that ferrule all the time. Quick tip with that is to rub some candle wax on the male part of that ferrule before you put them together, and they will stick together quite nicely, and it will keep them from coming apart quite as easy. But a, a one-piece rod is more accurate, it's lighter in weight, it's more precise in its action in general, uh, where it bends along the blank, and, uh, and it's just a more even powered rod all the way around. So for me, the vast majority of my rods are one-piece, but I'm able to store them in a boat or in, haul them around in my tundra, and they fit in the bed of the truck, and, uh, and that's just fine. A uh, couple other quick tips. Uh, get rod socks to, to, to travel with your rods because if you're going to travel around, what breaks a fishing rod is a lot of the time is anything that pinches the hoop. In other words, a cross section of the rod, if you visualize that as a hoop, if it gets pinched or dinged anywhere along there, it's going to break next time you catch a fish. And then you're going to send it to the manufacturer. Maybe you bought a high quality one that's under warranty and you're going to send it to the manufacturer and they're going to x-ray it and say, no, this is not a manufacturer's defect, this is misuse. I was with the blank designer one time who uh, had a little bit of a buzz on at a writer's conference, and he was yelling about blanks being, about rods being sent back for being defective, and they, the company at that time was warrantying them. And he's like, look at this, and he grabs his rod and he bends it all the way around, almost like the old ugly stick commercials. And this was a high quality graphite rod. It didn't break, and everyone in the room reeled back and flinched like, oh man, it's going to explode. He bent it around in a circle nice and even, it didn't break. He took that same rod two seconds later and tapped it. And I didn't mean, he didn't smack it. He just tapped it on the edge of a, of a Formica countertop that had a 90 degrees edge on it. He just tapped it on there. He got about halfway around the bend the second time as he started flexing it and the rod exploded in a bunch of pieces. Right there, fragments went flying, right where he had tapped it. And the reason being is he had disrupted the hoop. Same thing if you step on one. If you step on a rod or, or pinch it somehow, it will get a crack down each outer edge of when it flattened out. They are not designed to flex in that direction, and it will break next time you use it. So the easiest way to protect rods, the transit, and everything else is to get some rod socks and put them on there. Um, that will 
at least help keep abrasion and things like that from happening to your rod. I've seen cases where rods were in a car and they couple rods and they vibrate together or even two pieces of the same rod and they vibrate together and one of the guides rubs a raw spot on the blank of the other rod and again it will break right there. So the easiest way to keep your rods from breaking is keep them from being nicked, scratched, or pinched uh, as in stepped on. And if you don't do any of those things it's very difficult to break a fishing rod. So you want the short answer? You're a bass guy, get a six foot six to seven foot medium, medium heavy power spinning rod, put some braid and a medium sized spinning reel on it and go fishing. Walleye guy might go into medium light to medium because they tend to throw a little bit lighter baits. Trout guy might go to a light to medium light, uh, somewhere in that range. But again, choose them based on the weight of the bait or lures you are going to throw. You're fishing lakes and things, uh, lakes more than rivers, uh, longer is probably better. Um, if you're in tight quarters, shorter is probably better. If you're a tall person, uh, you can get away with, with longer rods, sometimes a little bit more comfortable, particularly in tip-down situations. I'm short, so I tend to not get much over seven foot six for any of my applications at all. And from there, uh, spend money on your Rods that are the most important that you have finesse or feel on, uh, that's where you want to spend your most money. And the rods that you don't need as much finesse, in other words, your, maybe your bait rods or your trolling rods, that's where you can spend your least amount of money because durable rods are typically less expensive than very light, very sensitive rods, which tend to be fragile. So if you guys have questions on this, it's kind of a hard thing to talk about in a podcast or work through in a podcast. But if you have questions, you can always email me at chat at fishfulthinker.com. Uh, I'd be glad to answer specific rod questions for specific applications. I do it all the time. And my personal arsenal of rods, which is pretty substantial after nearly 20 years doing this for a living, most of my rods are single-purpose rods at this point. I have a crankbait rod, a spinnerbait rod. Uh, that might double as a bladed jig rod as well. Uh, I have my finesse jigging rods. I have your pitching and your flipping rods. I mean, they're very specific to applications uh, that I'm doing with them. I don't troll much, but I do have a couple of trolling specific rods. Um, but everything is set up for very specific applications for me, and it starts uh, it starts getting overwhelming to some degree. But I'd be glad to answer your questions on that. So. If you want to join the conversation uh, at Fishful Thinker on Facebook or Instagram, we'd appreciate that. Uh, I'd really love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast and even better, our YouTube channel. So, appreciate you tuning in, guys. Uh, at any time, reach out to me and uh, we'll keep these podcasts coming as long as you'll keep listening. So, thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.